Welcome to the Underrepresented in Tech podcast, hosted by Michelle Frechette and Ali Nimmons. Underrepresented in Tech is a free database built with the goal of helping people find new opportunities in WordPress and tech overall. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Underrepresented in Tech podcast. This week, Michelle is taking a much-needed vacation, so we're going to send her good vibes through the universe. Um, and I'm here chatting with my friend Wynn, or Rachel Winchester. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Allie. How are you doing? Hi. I'm good. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Um, our paths have crossed a handful of times in the past few years, and I just think you're such an amazing and interesting person. Uh, so I'm really excited to get to chat with you, like dedicated, just you and me in some detail yeah. about the things Our that you do. Our paths do cross very often. You were actually a speaker at the first WordCamp I've ever been to. That's so cool. Aw. Which one was that? Do you remember what city it was? Uh, WordCamp New York in 2018, 19, 2019. Yeah, that was a good one. I liked that one a lot. Um, I'm from New York, so I was really happy to be able to go back uh, for the WordCamp and like be in my city. And yeah, that was great. Um, well, yeah, I'm super glad our paths have crossed. Um, and I'm super glad to have you on the podcast. Uh, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are and what you do, where you're from and all that, all that good stuff? Sure. Well, I, my name is Rachel Winchester. Uh, but I go by Wynn for short. I'm from Easton, Pennsylvania, and I live in Philadelphia right now. And I work for Digital Cube as a UX user experience designer slash product designer. Um, so I, I work on their WordPress products uh, and our agency websites and also um, represent us in the community. Um, and before this, I um, worked in different arts institutions around Philadelphia, um, and I have a degree in art history. Nice, nice. What I'm curious, what brought you um, from like, because I'm when I think art history, I think, um, you know, tactile, physical art, paintings and sculptures and, you know, all that kind of beautiful stuff. How did you go from kind of like that world and that background and end up doing UX and product design and, and you know, vis- uh, virtual art, digital art? Well, I am a millennial or maybe a, a <laughs> whatever generation is after that. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up with a smartphone in my pocket. So obviously uh, I've always had, I've always loved the internet, always had that on my mind. It's been a big part of my life. Um, my senior year at college, when I was finishing up my art history degree, I had a, an idea, a burning idea for a website that I wanted to build. So when I graduated, I used all of my graduation money to build that site and pay for hosting and all these extra resources. Um, So that's really what what got it started with art online for me. It was more art history than art making, Hmm. Um, but I created a a community where people can talk about art online. Uh, And then after making that website, I made a couple more websites as a hobby Mm -hmm. uh, that all had to relate it to art. And then at some point I realized like, I'm more interested in this internet stuff and building websites and building tools for artists and art art, um, tangential people to use rather than like, you know, being an art historian full-time in that way. So then I took took a pivot. I I wanted to get into web design. I did a UX design bootcamp um, and and really dove deep into the WordPress world. Um, so that's how I ended up as a web designer and, and how I ended up working at Digital Cube. 
That is so cool. I love hearing stories of like how people got started with WordPress or how people got introduced to WordPress. And I feel like so many times it's like you said, like it's out of necessity of like, I have an idea or I have things I want to communicate. And this is, this is the medium. This is the way that I found to do that. And then you just kind of get, you get sucked in. Yeah. That is so cool. So I know that you, um, you're really passionate about something called internet art. I hear you talk about that a lot. A lot. I see you post about that on, on Twitter and so on. Um, can you explain to me as well as our listeners, because I, I feel like I understand it, but I feel like I don't understand it. Um, can you explain to us what, what is internet art? Like what, what is that? And why do you, uh, why do you love it? Why, why is that your, your thing at the moment? Yeah, I'd love to explain it. And I'd also love to explain why you think you, you know it, but you don't know it. Because <laughs> I really like to explain, to get deep into the interpretation of it. Uh, so internet art is art that uses the internet as a medium. So if you think of artistic mediums like oil paint, canvas, well, the internet is a medium as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of the tools that we use to build websites and build other things online on the internet. Those are all tools that we can use like a paintbrush mm. to make digital internet related works uh, online. Um, and the internet isn't just, it's not just t- digital technology. So internet art is a part of digital art, mm-hmm. but the internet itself is its own thing. It, it, it relies on these networked connections between people, connecting people through devices. Um, so it's more than digital art. It's really about the, the connections Uh, between people. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a little (laughs) hard to explain. I think uh, one way to explain it is to go back to the original internet artists. So there was a finite group of artists who called themselves internet artists with a capital I and a capital A. Mm -hmm. And these people were working in the early 90s, the very early 90s, I think between 1991 and around like 2000. Mm -hmm. Uh, But these these people were working um, at the very early age of the internet before they started their work before the New York Times even Mm -hmm. got online. Maybe the only um, coding language available to them was HTML. Mm -hmm. So they used HTML as their artistic medium to make artworks. Uh, One of my favorite examples to really explain how this works as a medium is this piece called Grammatron. Uh-huh. Uh, Grammatron is by an artist named Mark America, and it is hypertext literature. He wrote a, uh, a novel, an entire epic novel, using HTML and links, hypertext. Uh-huh. So we see hypertext all the time. We see links everywhere. There's, you can't really look at a, at a web page without a link. That's how things work. Right. Uh, but just to think back at the very early age of the internet, when links and HTML was new and novel, Mark America used that as his artistic medium to mm-hmm. write an entire epic novel. Um, so that's one, uh, uh, that's the core definition of what internet art is with a capital I and a capital A. Mm-hmm. And, and this finite group of artists, uh, they actually kind of nicknamed themselves the net artists, so just capital N, capital mm-hmm. A. Um, and they were working in the early 1990s. Um, at some point, they just realized that, you know, the art that they were making and the times that they were making their art in had changed. Uh, and that's 
where the art history comes from. And that's why mm. I get so interested because of the how things change over time. So at some point, the capital I went to a lowercase I and the capital A went to a lowercase A. And internet art just kind of became ubiquitous mm. around the internet. We see creativity and, and artworks around online, but you know, we may not call it internet art or or um, think of the creator even as an artist. Right. Yeah. So as as an art historian, I really like to focus in on the um, the original innovators, the original visionaries, um, who were the first to work this new work with this new and novel medium, and then see how those ideas um, kind of spread throughout the internet. Um, so today, in 2022, internet art is everywhere because mm. art is everywhere and the mm. internet is, is everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> so it's almost hard to like pick it, pick out like, oh, this is internet art or that mm. is internet art. Or even it's even hard to say like, oh, this person is an internet artist. Right. You know, they might be a filmmaker or a comedian or a conceptual artist who just works with the internet often. Interesting. Okay. So that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I get why I feel like I, I get it and I don't get it because as you're just as you're describing that, so many different things are popping into my head of like, well, is that internet art and is this internet art? And I feel like the answer is to all of those is probably yes. Um, like the first thing I, that, that I was thinking of um, is r slash place, which are you familiar with that one? Is that a Reddit? Yeah, it's a Reddit thing. So I didn't know about it until it was like basically over, but it was basically an event where, how can I describe it? It was so cool. Um, Basically, it's like you go to our slash place and there was an empty canvas. It was just an empty set of a a set number of pixels. And you as like a user got one pixel that you could do whatever you wanted with. And so groups of people came together. It's okay, we're gonna organize and use our pixels to create a picture. And so you have this huge, like ridiculously detailed image now that exists that there's videos online of it, uh, of the time-lapse of it being created over time. Um, uh, As all of these people just like, I, I can't even like describe it. It was ridiculous. It's like if everyone is given a, a paintbrush to paint on one canvas um, and they're they're creating all the, I would highly recommend anyone listening to just Google r slash place um, and, and look into it. It's, it's one of the most fascinating things to me that I've like ever seen because I can't imagine the number of people and the amount of work that goes into this. Yeah. And so like at first glance, like if you just showed it to someone you'd be like, okay, well, that looks like a hot mess. Like that's a piece of garbage. <laughs> like it's just like memes and flags and like crap all over the place. But like when you know the history of like how it was created and I think they only had like 12 hours or something or 24 hours to to build it. Um, wow, this is really interesting. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't familiar before but I am definitely gonna do a deep dive after this recording. Uh, who so knows, maybe this piece might end up in one of my future presentations. I hope so. Like that, that to me is definitely like when, as you're talking about like using the internet as a medium and using the connection between people as a medium, like this seems like such a prime example to me because it's like, you can't, if, if people were not able to, to connect and communicate, 
around this, it would just be a big brown mess probably, right? Like all these different colored pixels that don't connect to each other. But, you know, you have like fandoms in here, you have like, um, you have countries, like you have like a Germany flag that goes through, you have an American flag, a French flag, like people- See the Panamanian flag mm -hmm. and the Hong Kong flag. And it's ridiculous because it's so unbelievably detailed. So you can open this image and just kind of look at it, but then you can zoom and zoom and zoom and zoom and zoom and find like even smaller things. Like it kind of makes my brain hurt looking at this sometimes <laughs> because some of the images are large enough that they just stand out, but some of them, like you have to zoom in like a hundred times to actually be able to see it because it's just, you know, maybe 20 pixels, you know, or something like yeah. that. Um, this is wonderful. I'm definitely going to look into this more. It's really incredible. They started it. There was one in, I think, 2017 that they did. It was a, it's a collaborative project and social experiment uh, hosted on Reddit is what it's called. Uh, so they did it for April Fool's Day in 2017, repeated it again this year. Um, and yeah, I think it's one of the coolest things ever. Um, but then I also think, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about like memes, like are memes considered internet art? Um, I think so. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Like I think about like people who create TikTok content or YouTube content, or, you know, back when Vine was a thing, like people who created Vines, like those people are, yeah, using, I mean, I guess maybe they're primarily using video as their mm -hmm. medium, but that video wouldn't have anywhere to go if it wasn't for the internet and for that platform. Exactly. Um, yeah. One thing that I've, I've been starting to notice with, uh, you know, my look, my studies into internet art is that, um, you know, related genres, genres related to the visual arts that um, are native to a screen uh, tend to be a lot more popular. Like, mm -hmm. so, so gaming, uh, film, and um, social media, um, performing arts, things like that. So, so like when I think of uh, art museums and visual art, I think of you know sculpture and oil painting and architecture, things like that. But when I think of internet art, I think of film and games and social media, um, and a lot more of those kind of newer art forms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And this gives, this gives me like a weird, weird amount of hope, right? Because I was listening to a podcast recently, um, this podcast called Stuff You Should Know that I'm obsessed with. It's my favorite podcast outside of this podcast we're recording right now. <laughs> it's my favorite podcast in the world. And um, basically every episode, they just pick a random topic and the two guys in the podcast teach it to you. Um, so one of the most recent episodes was postmodernism. So you have these two guys who are, who are not artists. They're just professional podcasters um, trying to describe what postmodernism is, which um, I never realized how complicated <laughs> postmodernism so is, like how complicated it is and, and how like there's so many different definitions and the definition has kind of changed over time. Um, and they and then they talked about like post postmodernism or like the the age that we're in right now that probably won't be defined for another 20 years but like we're kind of leaving postmodernism behind and coming into this new thing and they kind of hypothesize based off of what they read that um it's kind of this age where um yeah art is everywhere but also art is marketing art is advertising yes. art is mm -hmm. is you know commerce art is um capitalism right like we're in this 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 age right now where we kind of can't separate the two and mm -hmm. you you talking about internet art I mean yeah there's definitely 
ads online and there is a lot of marketing related art that we ingest just by being on the internet. Um, but something like r slash place, I love because there's so many different things on here that are not related to brands or ads or marketing or anything like that. Like, um, but at the same time, there are like I was watching a video where this guy was, you know, doing a deep dive into r slash place and zooming in and out. And there's like a thousand, you know how there's like hidden Mickey's at Disney World? The oh, the R slash place <laughs> has hidden that the little guy from Among Us. He's like been hidden all over the place, which is such a like like that strikes me as so interesting because I'm sure that like the company that made Among Us didn't go in here and do that, but it's still mm-hmm. promoting oh, that's hilarious. a product. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. whether they intended it to or not, it's still a, a commercial figure that people have put in here and it's reflective of what is popular you know with this video game that is popular right now that's now you know immortalized in this in this piece of art um Mm -hmm. so yeah there's there's kind of two things you you just touched on Mm -hmm. with that statement i mean first like ever since the the 60s really and Mm -hmm. the advent of pop art as its own kind of fine art genre Mm -hmm. then like the marketing and the idea of popularity Mm. and artistry could have kind of combined. So that's like one thing that you're definitely touching on with that. The other thing, you know, thinking specifically about the internet and internet art, like internet is its own landscape. It's, it's a metaverse on -hmm. top of our own reality. There are businesses, big and small. There are people doing, um, small projects, big projects There are people who live their entire lives online. So there's definitely a lot of like individual small scale creativity, very personal projects, but also there are large scale marketing and uh, projects that are still considered art. And yeah, you could use the term art for all of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's so neat. So one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, um, I know that Like, I didn't want to necessarily like shoehorn this in just because this is what this podcast is about. But like, whenever I hear you talk about internet art, I think about um, the opportunities and the avenues and the availabilities for underrepresented people to make internet art. Because I feel like when we talk about art, right, we're like with a capital A, a lot of people think about, um, you know, what we normally see in most museums, which is like a lot of white European art, right? Um, Even just like when I was listening to that podcast about postmodernism, all the artists they were talking about were these white men. Um, And I feel like the internet by nature, like by design is just so open. Um, And I wonder to what degree can like underrepresented people out there in the world look at the possibilities with internet art and say, you know, I want to be an artist without these boundaries of um, sexism and racism and homophobia and all these other things. Like, I'm not really sure what I'm trying to ask, but I'm just, I'm <laughs> I know exactly at, what you're trying I to I always ask. look at things through that lens, right? Of like, how does this apply to 
people who might feel like outsiders or people who might feel like the thing that makes them underrepresented is a barrier to them doing what it is they want to do? How does internet art kind of solve that problem? I think it's about the access and the inclusion and a lot of uh, a lot of the hopes of Web3 um, and also just the fact that everyone's connected to the internet now and, and everyone has an internet connected device and the tools that we use to make stuff online are becoming more usable and accessible. Um, think about WordPress and the full site editor and how that came out last year. So uh, the back with the beginning of the internet, it was kind of seen as a new frontier. People wanted to be the first to get on and the first to figure it out. Um, and the original internet artist, again, with the capital I, um, I, I like to focus on um, this one specific artist. Her name is Olia Lialina. She was one of the kind of the premier internet artists who really helped shape the definition. She was one of the people organizing all of the other artists mm -hmm. to help figure out what are we doing? How do we put a name to what we're doing? Right. So I love pointing to her to think of her as one of the original visionaries because in so many art genres in history, those original visionaries are almost always straight, cisgendered white men. Right. So I'd love to just highlight a female, a really strong female who who, who put all this together and had just such great organizing powers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, you know, zoom forward to 2022, it's, it's not web one anymore, we're into web three. Mm. And more people can do stuff online. So I, you know, want to encourage people of color, underrepresented folks to do stuff online, to get onto this new frontier and represent themselves and express themselves because everyone has access now. Yeah. It's not back in the early nineties where only a few people had a computer and the computers were the size of a huge room. <laughs> Look, everyone has a few computers. I've got like three different computers on my desk right now. Yeah, for sure. So I can do so much and so can everyone else uh, do so much to express themselves online, populate the internet, this internet landscape with their representation. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I wanna highlight um, an artist that I found recently uh, her name is Shawnee McLean Holloway, mm -hmm. um, and she's on Twitter as, uh, what is her name on Twitter? Just one second. <laughs> as you're looking that up, um, the, I immediately, as you were talking about that, I started thinking about Issa Rae and mm -hmm. how she's like now one of the most successful you know, creators on, on television, whether you want to call that streaming or, or otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. And she started out with a little YouTube short series that she just kind of made because she felt like it and she had stuff to say as an artist. Um, and I just always found that so it's inspiring that you can just hop on the internet with the camera on the back of your phone and record, you know, write, record, like do whatever it is that's, in your heart and in your brain and that has elevated that's been like a vehicle that she's used to accomplish all these other things which i think is so inspiring and amazing yes exactly it, representation matters and our screens and this media is everywhere so the more of our face we can get onto these screens and controlling our own image it's it's wonderful um yeah. and and i think uh the, the artist i'm about to share is 
doing similar things. Um, so yeah, her name is Shawnee Michaelaine Holloway. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, it's at Cleo Girl, C-L-E-O, uh, Girl 2525. Mm-hmm. Um, and the specific piece I want to talk about is called Alignment uh, on her website. Uh, from 2015. So in this in this piece, she uh, it's all about portraiture, and she tries to reclaim her own image, her image of her own portrait, um, by um, drawing similarities through to other famous portraits in art history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are images of um, Cleopatra and different um, Egypt. Uh, Egyptian mummies and she will photograph herself with the exact same facial expression in the exact same um, aesthetic to show oh this person who was written down in history and is a very important person in history so much that we know who they are and we write about them in the history books well they're just a person just like me and I'm a person too Mm -hmm. so I can connect with them that way. Um, and I am just as important as they are, even if they their image is more seen than mine. Yeah. So that's kind of the point of the project. Um, there's I'll share a link um, afterwards that people can see the images and read about it on their own time uh, and kind of dig a little deeper. That is pretty cool. Um, and then I have actually a second piece that I can share. Yeah, please. Um, to touch more on uh, the idea of representation and reclaiming yourself online. Um, so one of my favorite artists has been one of my favorite artists about my whole life. Her name is Adrienne Piper. Uh, and she is a conceptual artist and a performance artist. Mm-hmm. Um, started working, I think in the sixties or seventies uh, and is now in Berlin. Um, but she, she has a huge body of work uh all over the place and has you know she's warranted a a wikipedia page Mm -hmm. and back in i think december of 2013 she couldn't she wasn't able to edit her own wikipedia page Mm -hmm. in other words the biography that is online that people go to to learn about her she had no agency she wasn't able to tell people online about herself. She couldn't edit her own Wikipedia page. So what she did was she scraped that Wikipedia page and made her own Wikipedia page on her website that she edits twice a year. So people who know (laughs) will go to the real Wikipedia page on her website to keep up with her biography and her ongoing projects. Um, So I think this is just a cool a really cool project really cool idea people there are so many people out there with wikipedia pages i'm sure that there are people out there with wikipedia pages and they don't even know that they have a wikipedia page (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she did she she does have one and she wanted to you know make it her own and she couldn't so Mm -hmm. she just duplicated it and now has control over this one Um, so i think that's just a very interesting move to make as as a person in, in the real world and trying to control how people see you. Yeah. I mean, that, that strikes me as almost a piece of performance art in and of itself, right? Like a website that is, uh, 
its sole purpose, its only purpose is to define things and people and events and, and to share what is true and factual. Like Wikipedia doesn't provide like commentary or opinions. Like it's just about here's when this person was born. Here's where they were born. Like it's very factual. And so the fact that it does not allow, it, it takes those facts and just like, dist- or it takes that information, just distributes it as fact and removes her as the actual person from that situation is it just feels like such a commentary on like the truth of the internet in general like the whole I mean I hate to I hate to go back to like the fake news thing but like Mm -hmm. you know we go on the internet and we we put a large amount of trust in the things that we read and the things that we see um and we don't always consider the person behind that information or the person that's been removed from that information so um, hard to know what's real. Exactly. And if if um if you have a big name like Wikipedia, it's even harder because there's even more trust than if it was just some random, you know, some random article on a random website. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, we are running up on time, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. I I feel like I could talk about this for much longer. <laughs> I find it very fascinating, especially because I was recently learning about like different kinds of art and and the art the art period that we are in now. Which yeah, I'm so, I'm so excited. I was very excited that you brought up the word post uh, post postmodernism. Yeah, because uh, I've been reading about uh, post contemporary, mm. which is something that's uh I guess we're on the we're on the cusp of or we have entered it really depends on who you talk to yeah I feel like it depends on who you talk to and like one of the things I learned in that podcast too is like a lot of these things are so um we can't ignore we can't realize it in the moment like we have to be like 20 years out of it for people to go back and look and say like oh this was a period um like these are things that defined and like the thing that I learned about postmodernism too is like we think about modernism, postmodernism, contemporary, blah, blah, blah. And we think like, oh, that's a style of mm-hmm. art or a style of filmmaking or a style of music or whatever. But a lot of these things are a way that we, and I say we as like the Western world typically, think about ourselves and, and, and think about the world that we live in. And then the art reflects those thoughts rather than the other way around. Um, so the internet art thing to me is really interesting because because the art is so ubiquitous and because we now have a lot of trouble separating the internet from reality, um, it, it feels like we live in an age of, of internet art as, as far as like, you know, in the eighties, we were living in the postmodern age or whatever. Now it definitely feels to me like we're living in the internet art age because that is what defines our experiences. Um, And then the art that we make as a result of that, I mean, I feel like there's no art that's been made in the last 20 years that at least hasn't been photographed and put on the internet, right? Like it all goes back to that. And that's how we share things with each other. Like I I went to a museum that's local here in Austin, uh, the Blanton Museum a couple of weeks ago. And I was very cognizant of like, I'm going to keep my phone in my pocket and really look at things and be in the moment. But I took hella pictures and put them on Instagram, (laughs) right? Because like I wanted to remember it. I wanted to share it with my friends. Um, Exactly. 
and yeah, I do the same thing. I'll take photos inside of a of an exhibition and put it on Instagram. But what? But it, it provides value for me because then years later I can go back mm. and say like, oh, I remember that exhibition. That yeah. was a great exhibition. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and then I can compare. I don't know something that I saw ten years ago to um, uh, how are they changing the gallery spaces? Exactly. You know, things like that. I, as an art historian, I love those kind of photos. Okay. Um, oh, and one more thing that I sure. wanted uh, to mention before we get off. Um, if there are any artists listening uh, who, you know, maybe your normal practice is digital or not digital. Maybe you've done internet art before or you haven't. But if you have an idea for uh, internet art work <laughs> and you'd want some people to collaborate with you, you might be a great fit for our residency program. Uh, I'm starting a internet artist residency program at Digital Cube. Uh, you can ask me about it and look for the blog post, but uh, you'll, pr you'll propose a project for us to execute collaboratively mm -hmm. and you'll be inside Digital Cube uh, while we're working on your project. Um, so if there's cool. any, anyone out there with a cool idea and you're like, I need someone to build, to do the tech for me, or you just want to work with some cool people at Digital Cube, apply. Please apply. Cool. I'll definitely make sure to include a link to all that information uh, in the show notes as well so people can grab it. Thank you so much, Wynn. I appreciate your time so much. Uh, give us a quick shout out of like where people can find you online. Uh, online, my website is visualwebmaster.com. And on Twitter, I probably use Twitter most. Uh, so it's at Visual Webmaster. Awesome. All right. That'll be it for today. We will see you all next week. Great. Thanks for having me, Allie. Of course. Bye-bye. This episode was sponsored by the following companies. WP Wallet. WP Wallet is a free, simple, intelligent tool that helps WordPress professionals effortlessly manage all of their license keys and invoices for all sites and clients. Never forget a renewal, lose a license key, or miss out on a reimbursement again. Join WP Wallet for free today. LearnDash. LearnDash is taking cutting edge e-learning methodology and infusing it into WordPress. More than just a plugin, LearnDash is trusted to power the learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, entrepreneurs, and bloggers worldwide. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, using our database, or just want to say hi, go to underrepresentedintech.com. See you next week.